Amen. Just for me. Oh, that was so good. We're going to be in revival together next week down at Cook Springs Baptist Church in Huntsville, Texas. I'll be there Sunday through Thursday. They'll be there Sunday through Wednesday. And then on Thursday, Jeff and Sherry Easter will be coming in. So if you're in Huntsville in the prison or going to (laughs) see somebody in prison, you might just come out to Cook Springs and we'll have a good time. I have enjoyed being here. This is my first time here, and I am so blessed to have been able to come. Thank you, Brother Charles, for inviting me. Now, you pastors that are here, you know he was kidding about that (laughs) $10,000. I work a lot cheaper than that. But uh, I'm so honored to have been here. You're a precious group of people, and thank you. You've been so faithful. I've just been blessed. I told my wife on the phone today, if Texas ever secedes from the Union, we're going to move to Texas. Amen. I've learned you don't mess with Texas. Amen. It's all right. Take your Bibles and turn to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 6. Luke, chapter 6, and we're going to begin reading in verse 17. Luke chapter 6, verse 17. If you found it, say amen. Amen. And he came down and stood with them, and the company of his disciples, and a great multitude of people out of all Judea and Jerusalem, and from the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon, which came to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. And they that were vexed with unclean spirits, and they were healed. And the whole multitude sought to touch him. For out of him came virtue which healed them all. Have you ever messed up? I don't mean have you messed up baking a pie or cooking a cake or messed up on a test at school. Have you ever, have you ever just messed up in your Christian life? Have you ever said something you wish you had not said? Have you ever done something you wish you had not done? Have you ever gone somewhere you wish you had not gone? Have you ever harbored a grudge in your heart against somebody that you wished you didn't harbor? Have you ever wanted to start over again? Some of you guys are golfers. In golf, there's a term called mulligan. If you hit a bad shot, you can say mulligan and hit it again. In marbles, if you hit a bad shot, you can say overs and get to shoot it again. But there is no mulligan, no overs in the Christian life. The poet said it like this, I wish there were some wonderful place called the land of beginning again, where all our mistakes and all our heartaches and all our selfish grief could be dropped like a shabby old coat to the floor and never be put on again. I wish there were some wonderful place called the land of beginning again. I have found that place. It is at the altar 
of God. If you're here tonight and you need to start over, you can do that at the altar of God. These three verses that I've read for you are probably the three most overlooked and forgotten verses in all the New Testament. Now there's a logical reason for that. Because what comes before these three verses is a big deal. And what comes after these three verses is a big deal. And these little verses just get wedged in and lost in the shuffle. In verses 12 through 16, Jesus chooses the 12 men that are going to be his initial 12 disciples. And that's a big deal. Much of the Christianity that you and I enjoy today is due to the ministry of those early apostles. And then beginning in verse 20 and going through the end of the chapter, you find one of the very few recorded sermons of Jesus in the Bible. Jesus is unquestionably the greatest preacher who ever lived and yet his sermons, most of them, are not recorded anywhere. But here in the latter part of this chapter is that wonderful sermon on the plain. And that's a big deal. And so between the choosing of the twelve and the sermon on the plain, you find these three little verses. You've probably never heard a sermon on them, probably never had a Sunday school lesson on them, but if you'll look at them carefully enough and closely enough, I think you'll find one of the most wonderful portraits of Jesus in all the Bible. Now, if you take notes, this sermon has three points. Somebody asked me, why is it that most preachers' sermons have three points? Well, that's about as high as some preachers can count. <laughs> and that's two more points than any Baptist will ever remember. So it kind of washes out, you understand. But if you're a note taker, point number one, he came down. It says there in verse 17, and he came down with them and stood on the plain. They'd been up on the mountain. Boy, it's good to be on the mountain with the Lord, isn't it? Most of you have had some of those mountaintop experiences with God. And man, when you're on the mountain with the Lord, you can lift your hands and you can shout and you can sing and you can praise God and you can jump up and down and holler, hoop and holler, glory, hallelujah, amen. It's good to be on the mountaintop with the Lord. But that's not where the Christian life is lived. Jesus was on another mountain one day with James and Peter and John, and Jesus did something that he did not do at any other time during his earthly life. He allowed his inner glory to shine through the pores of his skin. It was as bright as the noonday sun. And when James and Peter and John beheld his glory, they fell down on their faces before him. Eventually they stood up. 
And Peter said, Lord, we've never been anywhere like this. We've never seen anything like this. Jesus, let's stay on this mountain. Let's don't go back down in the valley. Let's stay up here. We'll build some things. We'll build some tabernacles. We'll build one for you. We'll build one for Moses. We'll build one for... You know, a lot of preachers, when they get real excited, they want to build something. <laughs> and so, uh, so, so Peter said, Lord, we'll just stay... <laughs> We'll just stay up here on the mountain and we're going to build some things. And Jesus did not rebuke him. And Jesus did not fuss at him. But Jesus said, no, Peter, we're not staying up here. We're going back in the valley. You see, that's where the people are. That's where the broken hearts are. That's where the ruined lives are. That's where the Christian life is lived. That's where we can be the salt of the earth and the light of the world. It's wonderful to be. Sometimes God lets us get up on the mountain just to have a shout and spell. But he always carries us back into the valley because that's where you live the Christian life in the valley. He came down. In the book of Exodus, the Bible says God looked down and he saw the affliction of his people and he heard their cry and he came down to deliver them. Thank God he came down. In John chapter 3, Jesus said, No man hath ascended up to heaven, but he that came down from heaven. He came down. In John chapter 6, Jesus said, I'm the bread of life that came down from heaven. He came down. Thank God, Jesus came down because if he'd not come down, I could never go up. He came down. He descended down the staircase of the stars and came to this planet and took all of our sin upon himself, carried it to the cross and died on our behalf so that we could be saved and go up to be with him one day. He came down. Number two. He came down to be heard. And he came down and stood with them in the plain. And the company of his disciples and a great multitude out of all Judea and Jerusalem and from the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon, which came to hear him. They came to hear him. He came down to be heard. I taught preaching at Mid-America Baptist Seminary in Memphis for nine years. And sometime the students would say, Dr. Pittman, how many points should a sermon have? And my response was, at least one. <laughs> I've heard a lot of sermons that didn't have any point to them at all. I hate to go somewhere expecting steak and get served Cool Whip, don't you? But Jesus had something to say. And you know, it doesn't matter at whatever stage or rank of life you might be, he has something to say to you. Jesus has something to say to children. Jesus can tell children, boys and girls, I love you, and when I died on the cross, I died for you as much as I died for anybody else. And boys and girls, you can be saved as a child. And you don't have to have anybody's permission to be saved. 
Now, boys and girls, if you're going to get baptized and join the church, surely you want your parents' permission for that. But you don't have to have anybody's permission to be saved. When God speaks to your heart, he's ready for you to get saved. And you just need to come and give your heart to Jesus. Teenagers, Jesus has something to say just to you. Jesus wants to talk to teenagers about your sexuality. Hey, he's got something to say about that. And Jesus wants to talk to you teenagers about the selection of your life's mate. You better get that right or you're going to have a lot of trouble in your life. And Jesus wants to talk to you about your life's vocation. He has a plan and a purpose just for you. And he wants to reveal his will for your life. He'll do that. And teenager, Jesus wants to talk to you about your attitude toward your parents. He's got something to say about that. So teenager, hear him. Young adults, Jesus got something to say just to you. Young adults, Jesus wants to talk to you about how to build a strong and a loving and a happy marriage. And young adults, Jesus wants to talk to you about how to become godly parents. I don't know of any need in America greater than a fresh group of godly mamas and godly daddies. Folks say, well, there's just not much authority in the home anymore. There's as much authority as there ever has been. It's just the wrong people have got it. I mean, there's something wrong when Daddy has to ask Junior, can I borrow the car tonight? So young adult, Jesus got, he wants to talk to you young adults about how to learn to live within your income. Did you know that more young marriages today are end up in divorce court because of money more than because of unfaithfulness? Jesus got something. And then middle-aged adults. Now, I know that's sort of a nebulous term. Nobody knows when they go into it or when they come out of it. I had a man tell me, I'm 64 years old and I'm middle-aged. Well, great. I don't know a lot of 128-year-old men walking around, but if you think you're middle-aged at 64, just have at it. But Jesus has something to say to middle-aged adults. He wants to talk to you about how to keep your marriages strong and affair-proof. He wants to talk to you middle-aged adults about how not letting, making money become a God in your life. And middle-aged adults, Jesus wants to talk to you about how to budget your time wisely so you don't end up losing the most precious things in your life. And middle-aged adults, Jesus wants to talk to you about how to live with teenagers. And then senior adults. I love senior adults. I are one. I love senior. And senior adult, Jesus has something to say just to you. He wants to tell you that the rest of your life can be the best of your life. You don't have to walk around in doldrums. You don't have to walk around with your bottom lip hanging down on the ground. You can be full of joy, and the, be the rest of your life can really be the very best of your life. And senior adult, Jesus wants to tell you it's all right to be excited about going to heaven. And senior adult, Jesus wants to tell you, you don't have to be afraid of the future because if you know Jesus, your future's secure and it's going to be fine. And also, senior adult, Jesus wants to tell you, you don't have to be afraid. And, and I'm not a cussing preacher. I'm really not. I'm not. But I'm fixing to 
I'm fixing to say a cuss word right now, so you may want to put your fingers in here. I'm fixing to say a dirty word. Senior adults, Jesus wants to tell you you don't have to be afraid, and here comes the dirty word. You don't have to be afraid of change. <laughs> now, I'm telling you to senior adults, that's a dirty word. We don't like change. We like everything to stay the same. Every Sunday, we're going to park in the same parking spot. Every Sunday, we're going to sit in the same pew in the same place. And if somebody gets our parking spot or somebody gets our pew, in the name of Jesus, we'll cuss them out. We don't like, we don't like change. We don't even understand why they don't still make the Andy Griffith show. Well, preacher, they're all dead. Who cares? Raise them up. I want to see Opie and Aunt B again, you know. We don't like change. But senior adult, did you know the first thing God's going to do when you get to heaven? He's going to change you. Well, why? Because you're not suited for heavenly living. This body that God gave us is really a remarkable thing. You can live anywhere on planet earth in this body. Now, there are some places so cold you'll have to put on a few extra clothes. And there are some places so hot you'll have to take off a few clothes. But you can live anywhere on planet earth in this body. This is an earthly body. But it's not fit for heavenly living. The Apostle Paul wrote to the church at Corinth, and he, and he gave them two reasons why God's going to change us when he gets us to heaven. He says, first of all, he said, this body is corruptible. You know what that means? It means it is subject to decay. And that's not something that's going to happen 15 years after you've been in the grave. It's happening right now. Your body is decaying right now and if you don't believe me when you get home roll up your sleeve and do that and look at all that stuff flying through there <laughs> did you know that most of the dust in your house is you <laughs> and if you buy a can of pledge and go in and wipe off the dining room table you're just wiping off yourself and if you'll leave it there three or four months, you can go in and visit with yourself. <laughs> you see, this body is corruptible. But there's not going to be any decay in heaven. Amen. But Paul said also, this body is mortal. That means it's subject to death. And again, that's not something that's going to happen when you're 128 years old. You're doing it right now. You're dying right now. Some of us have hair this color. Nobody dyes their hair this color. What happened to that part of our body that used to let our hair be black or red or blonde or brown? It died. Some of us have to wear glasses. What happened to that part of our body that used to let us see 2020 without glasses? It died. Some people walk stooped over like this. What happened to that part of their body that used to let them stand up erect like this? It died. And so here we are in the house of God. I mean, we're sitting here on Tuesday night, January the 3rd, in God's house, and we're decaying and we're dying all over the house. We ought to be a little embarrassed about that. 
But nobody's going to decay in heaven. And nobody's going to die in heaven. And so God is going to change our bodies into a body like unto his glorious body. And we'll never experience decay or death anymore. And so, senior adult, Jesus has something to say to you. Hear him. He came down to be heard. Number three. He came down. He came down to be heard. And number three, he came down to be touched. Verse 19 says, And the whole multitude sought to touch him. He's not an untouchable Savior. Bill Gaither came to fame and fortune with his song, He Touched Me. Shackled by a heavy burden neath the load of guilt and shame. Then the hand of Jesus touched me. And now I am no longer the same. But there's another song, the group last, the Wisnet sang it last night. He is here. Hallelujah. He's here, I'm in. He is here. You can touch him. And you'll never be the same. When you got saved, Jesus touched you. But there are times in your Christian life when you need to touch him. The Gospels tell us about a little woman. She had been sick for 12 years. That's a long time to be sick. Early on, she got up and she looked back in her bed linens and she saw just a spot or two of blood and it didn't amount to anything. And she thought, well, maybe my fingernails scratched my side during the night. But the next morning there was a little more blood and the next morning a little more. And it went on for months and months and years and years. And, and finally, her body could no longer replace the blood she was losing. You, you see, when God made you, he made you wonderfully well. You can go to the Red Cross tomorrow and give a pint of blood, and you're not going to be a pint low for the rest of your life. Your body will remanufacture new blood and replace that. But after 12 years of hemorrhaging, her body couldn't keep up. And she was dying. She was anemic. You can live without arms. You can live without legs. You can pluck out both your eyes and cut off your ears, take out several feet of intestine, and keep on a living. But you can't live without blood. The Bible says the life is in the blood. Can't do it. And so she was dying. Somebody came to her home one day and said, You know, there's a man by the name of Jesus coming through town. And they say he can heal sick people. Maybe if you can get down there where he's coming through, maybe he can help you. But nobody offered to help her get there. And that little woman, I can just see her laying in her bed. And she musters up what little strength she has. I see her as she puts her, head, puts her hands on the sides of the bed and she swings her legs over the side of the bed. And then she puts her feet on the floor and her hands on the side and she pushes with all she has to stand up and she has to rest. And then very carefully, very slowly, very meticulously, she step by step. And finally she gets to the door of her house and she has to rest. But she's still got to get downtown. 
Jesus is not going from house to house. He's coming through the street of the city. And so that little lady dying makes her way down to the street where Jesus is coming through. And she sees all the people there, the press, the crowd, my soul. And nobody steps aside and says, oh, ma'am, come right on. Oh, no. And I see that little anemic, dying woman elbowing her way through those big, burly men and then those ladies stronger than her. And she finally gets up to the front. And when she does, Jesus is already passed by. But he's moving slowly. People are thronging, and, and he, he's just barely, barely able to move forward. And she says, well, maybe if I can just touch the, touch him. Maybe if, I, I'll, just, I'll just fall forward and touch him. And if that's not enough, I'll just lay here in the street and die. And she raises that little hand and I can just see it quivering and she leans toward him and falls the Bible says she touches the hem of his garment she touches the hem of him and the word of God says virtue power came out of his body into I see it running up through her arm throughout her whole body and the Bible says she was immediately Cleansed, she was immediately made whole of that disease. Her body became full of color again. She was able to stand in strength. The blood began to flow through her veins like it once did. But Jesus not only changed her physically, he changed her spiritually. You read the Gospels, all of them introduce her with this phrase, a certain woman. But after she had this experience with Jesus. Jesus said to her the sweetest word he ever said to any woman, daughter, daughter. She became a child of God. Her faith had made her completely whole because she got in touch with Jesus. Jesus said to his disciples, who touched me? And they said, who touched you? Jesus, all day long, people have been touching you. They've been a grabbing and a clawing and a pushing and a shoving. Everybody's touched you. Jesus said, oh, but somebody really touched me. Yeah. It wasn't a touch of curiosity. It was a touch of desperate faith. And this little lady said, it was me. I did it. And that's when Jesus called her daughter. He came down to be touched. Uh, we don't like to touch each other much anymore. I go some places and I'm the guest preacher. And I'll stick out my hand to shake somebody's hand and they'll give me a nub like that. <laughs> well, when I get a nub, I just take it and lick it. And I'll guarantee you the next time they shake my hand. We have become an untouchable generation, but Jesus allows us to touch him. There may be some of you here tonight
you need to touch Jesus. Maybe you've messed up and you want to start over. The only way you can start over is touch Jesus. Maybe there's some of you here tonight and you're going through a difficult time in your health. Your health is broken. And your doctor has said things to you you never wanted to hear. You need to come tonight and touch Jesus. Maybe you're going through a hard, hard time financially. You have more months than you have money. You need to come tonight and touch Jesus. Maybe you have a child, a son or a daughter. You raised them in church, maybe this church. You had them in the house of God every Sunday morning, every Sunday night. They were always with you right here. And now they're out there in the world. They don't care one thing about God or His house. They never go to church. And you cry yourself to sleep at night. Broken hearted over that daughter or that son. You need to come touch Jesus tonight. Would you bow your heads?